1: Welcome to the Football Grad Podcast, I'm your host Manu Ref, and as always, I'm joined by Andrew in Siberia, how's it going, how's the winter there Andrew, is it still freezing cold?
0: Ah, oh, positively balmy Manu, It's uh, we're up to minus 9 today, so yeah, I feel like t certain and shorts weather really, but yeah, that is going pretty well, um, slowly beginning that gradual fall back to normality, and of course that means football, so This is perfect timing. So yeah, not
1: too bad (laughs) thanks. That's that's awesome. That's good to hear because uh, t-shirts and shorts. That's where we are pretty much at, right, Tim? I mean, some we got some pineapple express currently on the west coast. Um, We had twelve degrees in Victoria yesterday. How about Vancouver? It's all nice and balmy.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was actually the same. uh, You know, not the same probably shorts as the Andrew shorts, but still, best. It's it's fun and. um, uh, I'm uh, very excited for the today's part because today we can officially say that the season is starting for football grad clubs.
1: Yes, it is. It is indeed. We we have the Europa League previews, um, Champions League of course as well. But that's our only champion left team uh, in the Champions League. Schacht Donetsk and they're not playing thanks to new Champions League rules and you know stretching out the match days as much as possible there. Although Champions League is back next week, they're actually not playing till the week after. So we'll we'll get to that next week. But um before we get to actual previews, expectations, predictions, the excitement of the Europa League with all these post Soviet teams that we still have in it. We got to update everyone on the finally it's closed. Oh my god. I, I bring mm-hmm. such a, a sigh of relief on January thirty first when that transfer window shut. Uh, it's for me that's just a, such a happy day. And, um, really nothing happened. <laughs> Isn't that right, Tim? I mean, uh, Quincy promised stayed, ended up staying in Russia, which is probably the best news for, for Spartak ahead of the Europa League matches.
2: Yeah, actually, I think uh, it was a great transfer window for Spartak and just for, um, there was no really big transfers in Russia. Um I'm very happy that Quincy promise stayed. I've said multiple times that he can leave. He has absolutely the right to leave at any time he wants. He said he promised uh to stay in Spartak until he wins a trophy. He won us the league. He won us an extra bonus of the super cup. And he can he can go at any time. There wouldn't be any hard feelings if he, he would have decided to join uh, Southampton. But he didn't. He decided to stay. He even gave this uh, slightly provocative interview, and he said, "I'm wearing the red and white colors. Don't I look nice in it? I'm staying in Spartak. What do you want from me?" He, he told the journalist. So uh, he, he 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 made it look like he doesn't really, didn't really want to to leave, and he probably leave this summer, but he has the right to do so. And, um, uh, I'm very, very happy with the transfer window for Spartak and, uh, we can summarize it. Um, but yeah, let's just cover the key points because there's one more man who we need to talk about.
1: Yeah, there is, uh, of course. And we'll get to him in a moment. But, um, in the end of the day, it was a bit odd that Southampton didn't, um, because they said that they didn't, they negotiated up to the price and in the end it didn't happen. That's because the, the exit clause is a little weird, right, Tim?
2: Yeah, there was there's an interesting exit, exit close, which was introduced by, um, a gentleman named, uh, named, Zhurkov, who was, uh, kind of like a Fidun's right man. And his job was to get the club financially in shape. The guy is not a football man. The guy is a proper finance man. And his job was to, to really put Spartak in shape. And one of the features that he introduced, if, was that if there is a buyout, uh, deal then a certain percentage of the deal which in that case was 4.5 million uh, whatever currency they were dealing in uh goes to the player so the southampton they kind of they had to utilize the buyout clause which was 30 and then to give another 4.5 to the player that was the clause which uh Zyrkov introduced when he he was on the club. He was, he's not at the club anymore. And that was kind of the, like, the, that was kind of the whole thing. Like they said, listen, here's the, by the it Here's your 30 millions, but the, the player needed to get his cut, kind of. And Promise wanted the cut and, um, they didn't go for it. So I think that, that, that final, uh, difference in five millions was kind of the, the big point because Southampton already felt like 30 was a little bit of a stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the, 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 the transfer didn't happen. Pwah, great.
1: Yeah it's good news. It really is good news for Spartak because they have a tough Europa League tie coming up. So um excited to see Quincy Promise until the summer and I think I think then we all expect him to move on to, to somewhere else. Um and I think there's there's some a lot of clubs going to come look for him, so I maybe he isn't too unhappy that Southampton wasn't it in the end. Um another man who didn't move. Andrew, you'll get him for another half half season, I figure. A little smaller of the smaller office staying in Russia. Um, I wrote an article for Football Whispers and um, I said that the, the biggest question for me whether this transfer to West Ham will happen or not is that is the fact that this is a World Cup year, right? The, will he risk moving to the Premier League doing a World Cup season at a time when he hasn't been match fit? And the, All these things, these are all factors that we discussed and ultimately it looked like it came down to that. That Fedor Smolov ended up not moving because it's a huge risk to move at this time of the season.
0: Well, it is really Um, the only the only little caveat I'd add to that point. That point is that it depends exactly what his priority is. And you say it's a risk in a World Cup year. I mean, Smolov is basically he's nailed down the number nine spot. He won't lose his place in the starting lineup, even if he had a horrendous six months in England. Um, But on the other hand, I'd say. The World Cup year is his big chance to get the, the one last shot at a big club. You know, a launch pad for a good tournament after a good run of form leading up to the tournament, that will give him a much better chance of a well potential interest. I'm still holding out hope for Dortmund in the summer. Um if our man Michi Batshuayi doesn't stay permanently, then it could be back on. And that might depend on, you know, a solid run off run of form up until the tournament. So Personally, I'm happy because it it always felt like the West Ham move was a bit of a you know a last resort. It, it didn't feel like his heart was in it, and um, you know he even made noises along those lines. So personally, I'm pleased in the short term. But this really—I mean, um, we said this before, I know—but this really is his last chance this summer. Um, good run of form for Krasadar, good World Cup, and then he's got one big shot left. But he can't mess it up.
1: No, but why, but why? Um, the man of the hour have to, have to note that, uh, he is on a loan deal. There is no buyout clause, uh, for, for Borussia Dortmund and that Dortmund are, um, haven't made up their mind yet who's actually coming in, in the summer. They really haven't decided on that yet, um, because they, they sort but of want to. Are, are, so, are yeah. they
2: still interested? Are they still interested in small, if you think?
1: I think they're really in, they, they really don't know what they're going right now, Tim. Um I think that is that is really they needed someone right now to come in. They wanted to cut out the cancer that was Albert Mayang out of the dressing room and they just needed to someone to fill that hole right now. I think Bajwa is definitely a candidate if he does well. But they is they haven't really nailed that position down. I think that they really just needed the right now they just want to get deep into the Europa League, reach the Champions League for next season and then they they will probably sit down in the summer and come up with a solution. Um, up front. And that could be two players as well. Remember the war chest is, is full. They, they earned a lot of money in the, la- this year mm-hmm. and they haven't, they haven't spent any of it. They spent of the 105 that they got for Dembele. They spent 20 million on Yamulenko and of the 63.5 they got for Aubameyang, they spent nothing because, mm. uh, wise deal is paid for by Arsenal. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of money. Uh, in Dortmund right now, so I think, um, and they're not going to go and buy a striker for forty, fifty million euros. That's just not their their philosophy. They're going to buy someone who will fit, and uh, so I, I, I personally think that they will go for multiple options. So I think he is a candidate. He remains a candidate, uh-huh. and I, I think as big, a big World Cup will put him and other players on the radar. Right, and I think that, that is that's something that we have to remember. The World Cup is such a shopping window. Um, you can argue with whether it should be or should not be. I personally think it's a rid- little bit ridiculous to judge a player on three or four games, <laughs> but usually it does that. It generates such a hype, right? And I, I think that that's the small of is among the players that can use this world cup and, um, to really to launch his career and to make that step final because he's now 27, right? So he's, he is in that, 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 that age category where you make that move. Um, abroad, uh, or you don't, or you stay forever in, in your domestic league. But, you know, I, I think Yamolenko, um, showed that you can make the move at this time and we'll see. Um, I think that is, that is definitely something that we have to keep an eye on. I mean, as I said on the other podcast, we kind of want to look ahead a little bit to the World Cup now that we're getting closer and closer and to some of the players that, um, could feature at the World Cup and become outstanding players. And I would definitely throw Smolov into that category because if Russia goes four or five games into this tournament, then he could be one of those guys. So, I mean, Andrew, thats I'm pretty sure that is what people are going to look for at this moment, right now, because Krasnodar are not in the Europa League.
0: Well, there is that factor as well. Um, and, you know, that was why we were saying, wasn't it, that he seemed... Uh it could have been a very sensible option, given that he wouldn't be uh, cup tied for Europa League football. But um, I mean, if you look at the if you look at the basics on paper, it's an absolute no brainer, really. The guy's got international quality. He's on absolute fire at the moment. He won't cost very much. Um, he speaks fluent English. Um, he's you know he's he's the he's the pin up boy of a whole country, and he he but he wants to prove himself. I mean. I don't really know what else clubs are looking for. He's versatile, played out wide. You know, um, so, but yeah, but you say about the World Cup, you make a good point, Manu. It is ridiculous, but it is a fact, you know, that clubs do make judgments and fairly rash ones uh, that on the basis of three or four games. But that is the nature of it. That is the attention on the World Cup. And Smoloff and clubs and agents will will know that. So um, I don't expect to see him stay beyond. my, my hope is my hope is Dortmund personally.
1: Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. Uh, anyways, you already mentioned it. Europa League, Krasnodar, not in it, <laughs> but we, we need to we need to move to this competition. Um, I love this. I love this tie. Uh, when I saw it, I, w- I was very excited about it. Um, this is this is people will think, well, what? There's a Europa League game on Tuesday. I guess this we have so many teams from Russia in this competition right now that they um, had to move one of the Europa League Russian games to Tuesday. So this is, they actually, CSKA are out of the Champions League, but they get a Champions League slot, so to say. They got Red Star Belgrade. Um, and initially we were a little disappointed because there's a stadium ban on that, but the news today is that the stadium ban got lifted, right, Andrew?
0: Yeah, yeah, Red Star announced yesterday. Um, they were fairly pleased with it. It's, it's I believe it's a two year suspended punishment. So they will, they've sent messages out to their fans saying, look, you really got to be on your best behavior. But, um, well, I mean, we already know, of course, the, I mean, you mentioned how juicy the tie is. Red Star, Belgrade having their historic links of brotherhood almost to Spartak, this guy's rivals. So they're going to probably want to have a bit of extra needle in the tie. But, yeah, the fans will be allowed in. That will be a very, very intimidating atmosphere. Um, and uh, the one or two players who have played in Russia, Mitchell Donald, for example, who played um, for Moldova a couple of seasons ago, he plays there. There's a, there's just so much going on in this tie. It's it's just going to be absolutely electric. Um, Akram Musa as well, back on loan, um, so he will be available, I believe, unless he hasn't been registered for the squad. But I uh, I can't believe he hasn't given that he was signed before the transfer window. So, anyway, it's an absolute cracker of a tie. I agree. Um, I think this could even be the football grad tie of the round.
1: Well, I have an interesting stat for you, Andrew. So, do you know the last time those two teams met?
0: Off the top of my head, I'm afraid I don't. Go and tell me, manager. It was in the
1: 2004-2005 season, in the round of 16, and CSG ended up winning the uh, the UEFA Cup.
0: Aha! I
1: like it. Very nice. So, um, that's my, my fun fact, um, of this. Um, but what, what is interesting, um, no, actually, sorry. I got this wrong. They met the rivals pa- partisan, not, the As- not red star. But anyways, the last time Moscow played, um, a Belgrade side, they won the, the UEFA Cup. But there is uh, some other interesting facts um the other one is that Red Star have only scored three times to actually reach the stage of the the huh. Europa League and they still managed to finish second in the group that included Arsenal, Spartak Borisov and Köln. Now um Tim you you of course <laughs> you probably are with Red Star on this one, right? Because they as Andrew mentioned that's the team that Spartak are very close with. They Red Star also came to Moscow to open the stadium, the new stadium um, back in to- 2014. Now, that's going to be a big storyline in this one, I feel.
2: Yeah, you know, to be quite honest, it's more like on the hooligans level, they have this relationship. I personally don't really know, like, I don't really say that I'm a big supporter of, of Red Star Belgrade. It's like hooligans, they have those friendship relationship. And yeah, definitely you know there's a little bit of interest, and I know that a lot of Spartak fans, and it's actually it seems like more fans like on the hooligans level on you know, like all those organized uh friend fan fan, uh, fan groups, uh, they were more excited for the Red star Belgrade Sky game than for our game against Bilbao. So I know, and there's like I don't know how many, but I know there's lots of uh, Spartak fans are going to Belgrade, especially because like the ban. Uh, was outruled, um, so there's a lot of attention to this game. But at the same time, um, I don't know if it's what 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 Andrew referred to that the Red Star Belgrade asked their friends to be on their best behavior. But uh, there were some a few messages from uh, Cervena, sort of from Red Star uh, Belgrade um, friends that they say we're not gonna fight. There's not gonna be any trouble. We are brothers with, with Russians. So even like we have a rivalry between Spartak and CSKA, but it should be all fine. I hope it will go nice because I really hate seeing those stadium bands, which when they play empty stadium, but it's definitely will be a game which will be, um, it, it will be a good game to watch even if you're neutral because it will be on fire. It will be, it will be that rivalry and, um, a game between uh, Serbian and Russian team is always, is always fun because there's this uh, brotherhood, but at the same time, uh, there's an obvious rivalry. So, um, for the neutrals, if you get a chance, um, uh, yeah, do yourself a pleasure because I'm pretty sure this is going to be a game on fire.
1: Yeah. And this is, this is also a, a good one to watch just ahead of the Champions League games, right? Because it's a um, 9 a.m. kickoff for us, Tim. Mm-hmm. Um, 12, 12 p.m. kickoff on the East Coast. <laughs> I'm getting all the time zones here. 5 p.m. kickoff in the United Kingdom and 6 p.m. kickoff if you're on the continent in Europe. Um, So that, those are the four key time zones to, to watch this game on Tuesday ahead of the Champions League ties. And it does have a little bit of a feeling of a Champions League game almost in my mind because, you know, the CSKA, of course, in, in recent years have been the... Most successful club in Russia in terms of titles um, since two thousand five. No, no team has won more Russian championships than CSKA and Red Star. Of course, they're one of those really big historical teams, right? They they actually won the, the European Champions Cup, as it was called back then, um, the predecessor of the Champions League in nineteen ninety two. I believe. Correct me if I am wrong. So you know they are they're a big historical side. So I, I'm I'm actually really excited to watch this ahead of the of the Champions League games that evening. Now, um, what are the expectations in this, Andrew? Um, I know you are doing the preview on this, and um, what are your expectations and predictions for this tie?
0: Well, oh blimey, this is the stage when it gets to knockouts. You've got to separate your heart from your head. Yeah. Um, the away tie, uh, I think it's probably for the best for Cisca that they play away from home first. I'm not expecting them to win this tie. Um, well, having said that, though, you've got to bear in mind that some of their best performances in the Champions League were away from home. And that Benfica game just shocked everybody. Mm. Um, so, honestly, I think the fact that this is the first competitive game back, I cannot, I can't really see much more than Cisca trying to contain Red Star, and I see this being at best a draw. They may possibly even concede one or two. You know, given the the atmosphere and the pressure around them. So, if I have to stick my neck out, I'm probably going to go for a one-one draw. Um, That's been slightly slightly optimistic, if I'm honest. Um, But. They are, I'd say, I'd argue the, the better quality side, but obviously they're away from home. It's a huge factor. And of course the winter break that comes into play. So mm. I think a one, one draw would be a good result for Tisca. And that's, that's what I'm hoping for in the first leg.
1: Yeah. You, I think it's really good that you mentioned the winter break there, Andrew, because we have to keep this in mind. Um, almost all the sides that we cover are still on the winter break. And this is the first competitive game for all the teams that are in the the football grad universe you know them um, so for some of these for some of these teams even the return leg will be then the second game right and this is something that I mean how many times have we discussed that winter break on on football Guard. um the, the the fact that it really does hurt international competitions because you basically go um from wherever training camp you are at straight to into this match you don't get any any warm-up games, um, which in the case of Red Star Belgrade, I believe they're also still in the winter break. So this is, this is the first competitive match for both of them, which, um, is, is of course a little bit of, it helps a little bit, but yeah, um, it's going to be, going to be an interesting, interesting tie. Um, that, um, Tim, what are your thoughts? How, how is this going to end in your mind?
2: I think Cesca will get an away goal, which will be the key in this tie. Um, I don't, I don't know what will be the outcome, but I'm pretty confident that Saiska will, will get an uh, way, maybe, maybe even two goals, uh, because of just their experience, because of uh, the way Ganchirenko plays the game. And, uh, because to be quite honest, Ceska is a superior team to Srebrenica Zvezda at, at this moment. So I'm pretty confident that, that Saiska, they have chances. It's also, we're talking because it's the same story that, like you said, that, um, from what I understand, I'm not really a massive follower of Serbian uh, league, but I, I think they are on break as well. So the clubs are in uh, similar situations, and um I'm pretty confident that uh, Cesca will get an away goal or two. Even if they lose, let's say, 2-1, it will be enough uh, for such an experienced squad and quality squad to to, uh, to to get to the next round. So, I'm not giving the prediction, but I'm giving my prediction is that CSKA will get an away goal or two.
1: Mm, yeah, I'll go along with that. I think that CSKA are a better side. So, um definitely think that they're going to get a result. Um, not win it, but get a result. And... Um, you know that's all that they need to just to get that match fitness as well, and then um, maybe seal it in the in the the second leg in Moscow, which is going to be cold at this stage. Uh, we'll get to a very very cold game in just a moment, yeah. but uh, <laughs> which is of course your side as are the temperatures in Moscow currently minus twelve degrees. So um the, whoever has to play that first leg in Moscow is, is in for a treat. But before we go to the next Moscow game, I have. Astana versus um, Astana versus Sporting um, in the on the calendar here, and this is this is an interesting one because Astana, of course, this is the first time that a team from Kazakhstan is participating in the knockout phase of the UEFA Club Competition. Um, they came to their place as a runners-up to Villarreal in Group A, where Sporting dropped, and this is their opponent. Uh, into the Uefa Europa League after finishing third behind Barcelona and Juventus in the Uefa Champions League group. Now this is also um a game that features a 6000 kilometer journey for uh, for both sides um because they are literally in the, the extremes of the continent. Astana is uh, the furthest east In this competition Sporting is the furthest west. So this is a this is a draw of extremes and um, I'll go with you first, Tim. This is this is a travel that you don't even see over here in North America, isn't it?
2: Yeah, that's crazy. Like, you know, especially for yeah, like for both sides. Um, the the, the weather is different, the whole traveling aspect. Um, so it's it's, it's 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 probably that's like you said, as extreme as it gets. Um, but obviously, like Sporting is a stronger side with more experience and coming from uh, Champions League, uh, they're a good side. Um, so, I, in my opinion, Astana has less chances of going through than Sporting. Uh, but it's just remarkable what this club just—I'm talking about Astana—was able to achieve in the recent. Years. We just did the, the podcast about uh, Soviet clubs, and uh, we spoke about a few. Non-Ukrainian and non-Russian clubs, which are still successful. And Sestana, Astana is the best example of that. Um, like the, the results we we the like, they played the Champions League football. They made it to playoff in Europa League for a club from, from Kazakhstan. It's a remarkable achievement. So even if they lose out uh, to sporting in that tie, it, like it's, it's a remarkable achievement for, for the size of the club. Uh, for the size of the, you know, f- nation as a football, football organization as a, as a, as a federation. So um, it just, it just respected in any case to Astana for what they achieved. And uh, yeah, if they make it past sporting, then it's then just a uh, great success. Yeah,
1: no, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I just, i have the UEFA fact sheet in front of me. And this uh-huh. is the first time these two teams meet so that what they did, they they actually had to go to UEFA Futsal to find a comparison um, <laughs> because that was Sporting's only other match in Kazakhstan was for their futsal team um, <laughs> at the UEFA Futsal Cup in Almaty um, where they finished second to uh, Italian team Montesilvano. So this is the kind of comparison UEFA has to draw up for this game because there is no precedent for Sporting Lisbon. Yeah. It's really new territory. The other thing that of course um uh, we have to mention this is Astana's first game as well. um their season actually finished in November because they are on the old old calendar, the the spring to fall calendar, right? So they won their championship in November. Then they had, I think one or two more games in the Europa League and then they've been on a winter break ever since. so this is actually an entirely new squad, and i I think, yeah, this personally I believe this will be um a step too far. For them, um, yes. When when we come to predictions, right, Andrew, Sporting will take this one.
0: Well, to be honest with you, Manny, yeah, I I agree with what you guys are saying. Um, it's it's no shame at all for Astana to to bar out at this stage because, like you say, they are already breaking breaking barriers. Um, I just I don't see them I don't see them getting much further. The first leg will be, I see fairly predictably they'll make it tough. Um, they, they do have a very, very tough defence at home, which they showed in the group stages. Uh, but away from home, like you say, the distances are going to be an absolute killer. And, uh, you know, with the breaks in the end of their season, uh, I'd love to be more positive about them. But, yeah, I, I go along with what you guys say. I think it's a step too far for them. But there's no shame in that.
1: No, no shame at all. No shame at all. So, yeah, um, we'll have Sporting in as, as the favourite in this one for sure. Now, <laughs> Tim, yeah, oh. I, know, I know you've been watching videos and <laughs> scouting, um, like a madman, your next opposition, Athletic Bilbao, As I mentioned, yes, I've, I've, been, I've been scouting the weather in Moscow. They, they're predicting <laughs> minus 12 degrees for this game in uh, at the Ortega, you Arena, know, because the first leg is actually at Spartak. Now, you have to mention that both these teams are coming from Spain, <laughs> because Spartak has been a training camp in Spain, right? Um, is there really an advantage in playing that first leg at at these temperatures for Spartak at all time? Uh
2: it might be because obviously the player I'm used to. I'm not sure how many Athletic Bilbao players played in in the snow in you know, in those conditions. Uh, so obviously, like for the Russian players, it will be some nothing really new. Um, but um, it's tough, like. Uh, Historically, Spartak has tough time playing away in Spain, and uh, we just saw a game against Sevilla this year. And just historically, if we take a look, it's it's not that easy for Spartak. We we had some good games against Spanish teams, but uh, typically away ties are tough. So for Spartak, in my opinion, it is a key to get the result in the first game and ideally not to concede that away goal and just to get a victory. And uh, Spartak is capable of doing that. I'm not, I'm having. Athletic Bilbao is a very tough team, so I'm not very confident in Spartak going through because it's because it's the beginning of the season, uh, because it's a Spanish team, because we're playing away at the second game. But at the same time, I've I have I've seen Spartak be of being capable. Of, of winning the first game, and if we get the result like one nothing or two nothing, without that away goal, then Spartak will have good chances of going through. So, to me, uh, uh, you're right. To, to me, in this night it really comes down to that the first game. Because if we don't get the result, I don't see us going through. If we get the result, uh, then then there, then there are chances. Uh, but uh, again, we're going away to play in Bilbao, which is historically in in Spain one of the toughest places, toughest stadium to go. Um It helps the Spartak, Spartak that uh, Athletic Bilbao hasn't been on a great run of form. I watched uh, a few of their games. I watched their recent game against Eibar. Uh, they lost to Girona, which is also like Girona is having a great season, but at the same time, you know, it's it a new team in the league. So uh, that helps. They're not in the best of form. It's not that Athletic Bilbao, which played against. Manchester united at which they had this the beautiful uh, they lost their the main um, as as previous listeners know their main central defenders laporte so the, the, there there are chances there there are chances for us, and there are some good signs that Spartak has good chances of going through but i'm not i'm not sure if it's going to be that easy so um, to answer your question again, I think it is an advantage um, it is an advantage what we play playing at home, and it's a key. Uh, game in that time, my opinion. And, um, I can't wait. I, it's been too long without Spartak playing proper football games. I cannot wait.
1: (laughs) No, Spartak have faced Spanish opposition on 28 occasions, Tim. They've won eight, they drew six, and they lost 14. You've already mentioned the game against Sevilla. Now, those results would have been enough to get through. You know, winning at home (laughs) 5-1 and losing (laughs) on the road 2-1. That gets, that gets you to the next round. I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen, but there is actually, there is a neat little link that I also found. Um, You know, the last time Athletic Babao came to Moscow, they faced um, Spartak City rival Lokomotiv in the 2011-2012 season. And guess who scored the winning goal? Samirov? Nope. Denis Glushakov.
2: The funeral. Oh, my favorite.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so there is, there is some experience in this side, uh, when it comes to facing athletic Babao. Um, okay, I guess we'll, we we'll to see. Um, but Andrew, what are your thoughts on this, uh, tie? I mean, first of all, it's a very attractive game. Um, if you get beyond the minus 12 degrees, um, <laughs> it, it's a very attractive game. Um, and I think it's a 50-50 game in my mind
0: well yeah absolutely it's it's certainly i, I think uh, I think again for the neutrals it would be a great game um i I personally picked out like I mentioned earlier, the cisco Red star game as possibly the most intense but yeah i think um I think the home game could be could be very interesting like like uh Tim mentioned, losing Omaric laporte is is quite a big loss because he's such a talented and and it's gonna sound strange, but for a centre back, he's actually a very creative player. He brings the ball out of defense well and he's very comfortable on the ball, so that might change how Spartak plan to attack, which could, I hope, be key to the tie. Yeah, overall, I'm yeah, I'd say fifty fifty is pretty close. Um Spartak has shown some, some sparkling form, certainly, this season, and some less so, uh, away from home especially. But look, it's um They've got to make the most of that that home leg. I always prefer to play the home leg second uh personally. i i don't like having the pressure off the second leg all to play for um, away from home, but anyhow look they they could get the advantage they need um, You mentioned the 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 temperatures in in Moscow and I mean I laugh when I see the numbers because they're they're minuscule compared to Siberia, but even still it's apparently the coldest day or most snowfall something like that in Moscow in a hundred years. Um, some of the pictures at the moment are just utterly horrific. Um, so that in itself might be a psychological blow for Bill Barron, in the first leg, uh, if the temperatures remain that low. So you never know. Basically, that's as much as I can I can really say. Over the two legs, I think I, I honestly I cannot I cannot call it fifty fifty.
1: Yeah, it is a tough one to call. I would go 50-52. I think it all depends on that first leg. And the, the big risk, of course, for Spartak are, is that this this is something that is in my mind, this <clears throat> just like Bilbao, they have to come back from training camp. They're actually flying to this game from Spain. and. So they they actually have the same journey almost in Bilbao, and so I I think that this is this is the riskiest thing, and the, the weather is is a huge factor, you know, football football in the snow changes everything. It's just it makes the game so completely different, so unpredictable. But on the other hand, Tim, Spartak has some fantastic results in the snow in the past, haven't they?
2: Yeah, yeah, like uh, the the legendary winner over Arsenal four one. Um, the, yeah, that's uh, it's we we like Spartak, is capable of like historically of getting those ties and like uh, historically yeah sometimes we uh we play those um there was like one of my favorite games which we mentioned uh, a couple months ago when we did the uh ten favorite european ties it was uh the um, Spartak was in the same situation like when they played they just got out of out of the um the season ended in november so that was the literally the first game of the season and when they went away to Ajax amsterdam and they won 3-1, and that was that Ajax-Amsterdam who a couple of years ago won the Champions League. So there are historical results when maybe, like obviously it was in Amsterdam, so it wasn't cold, but at the same time when, uh, when the Spartak coming out of the um, long winter break and the teams doesn't, don't really know what to expect, uh, there's a quality in in the squad so i i see that i see i see i see that like i I, I totally agree with you guys it's fifty fifty uh but I see that uh um, there there there's chance for, for us to get it and um i agree i think i think snow will be uh will be a helpful for us because we have players like Yeshinka who is from Irkutsk which in Siberia uh, Zobrin is from Irkutsk and who played their whole life on the snow like I know that because like in the winter you have a uh, uh, futsal. League and then you play the, the league, um, on the snow. So you play like the, the winter tournament. So I don't think it's going to be something, um, unique, uh, to Russian players. Uh, so um, I, I, I believe in my
1: team. Yeah. Well, this, this is definitely one of the in most interesting ties. So I, I'm really looking forward to this. Um, but boys, unfortunately, we need to move on, uh, to another very interesting tie. And this is actually, um, the first time those two teams meet, and that's Nice versus Locomotive. Um, we'll get to see Mario Barotelli Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's, that's, that's for me one of the personal highlights in this, this, this match. I,
0: I'm definitely, definitely looking forward to seeing what madness he comes up with. But, you know, to be, to be fair to Balotelli you mentioned him. He's, um, nobody could have really predicted, but he actually seems to have settled down, certainly by his standards anyway. Um, he was, <laughs> He was well, I mean, yeah, I mean I let's put that in context by his standards. Um but he, he's scoring regularly for them. Um Nice are are becoming more of a force in French football than they have been in in a previous decade or so. Um so it's certainly not to be sniffed at. Um they came up against was it Krasadar last season, season before I think it was. Um and uh yeah, so uh, it's, oh, locomotive should really be, be looking to get through that tie. Um, but again, it's it's a bit of an unknown quantity, like you say, have not faced each other. Um, I guess I guess Nice will be looking at their time uh, in, in Russia in recent years. So how much that will prepare them for locomotive, I don't know. Because let's be honest, Loco are a totally different side that we've seen for the last four or five years. They're suddenly becoming a really tough to beat, mm. tightly knit, well organised team. Um, so Nisa better do their scouting well, otherwise they they could be caught cold.
1: Some interesting facts for this one, boys. Um, this is only the only the, um, second time that Locomotive play a team from France. Um, the only other time was in 2003, 2004 when they played uh, Monaco. Monaco, Which is that's interesting because they actually Locomotive have in the, I guess and since the fall of the Soviet Union, they have a deep, a long history of European football. They're almost always there. So it's interesting that they have actually never, um, never played, um, or not played more often against French opposition. Um, another interesting one is this is Nice's first appearance in, a, in the spring, um, for a European competition. So this is the first time they play in a European competition in spring since 1960. <laughs> so, not exactly the most experienced side either. Yeah, this is, this is going to be an interesting one. I think, I personally think the second leg for Lokomotiv at home, um, Lokomotiv are currently the, the favorite to win the Russian championship. So, um, I would almost say that they're slight favorites in this one, right, Tim?
2: Oh, it's, it's hard to say, Mano. You know, um, to me, this game is very important, uh, but not only from Europa League, but also just we, if we're looking at the league. Um, we talked about this on, on the podcast. If you take the squad, if you take the uh, Lokomotiv as a side, they are not the best uh, mm-hmm. club right now, not not the best team in Russia, in terms of just the pure squad. If you have the, the, the Zenit squad, Spartak's squad, squads are stronger, but what Yuri Sermon was able to achieve is to get this um, this players working as a unit, the syner- synergy, and based on the results, the other best clubs they are eight points ahead of um, Spartak and Zenit. So to me, it's it's very interesting to see if that continues, if, if that feel of feel, good feel of that uh, you know of the team unit will continue in the new season because it was really a long break mm. and. Um, uh, I'm really curious to see in which form Lokomotiv will start, because really the first game they have is against Spartak. And if Spartak wins, then the, the difference in points comes down only to, um, to three or to five points. And then Lokomotiv, they have to play, um, pretty much every, every, every like tough opposition. They have a very tough, co- not a tough, co- not very, but a tough calendar in, in the rest of the season. So that game against Nice will give us an indication if that synergy which they achieved in the first half of the season uh, will transition after a 3 months long break to the end of the season. So, the, to me, it's a very interesting game, Not all, more even interesting for me because I'm biased, how the locomotive will join the, 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 the second half of the season. And at the same time, if they will perform and if they get this great result and they show the wonderful game against Nice, it will be a very good kick uh, kickstart to their season, and that will be obviously not very good for 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 Spartak.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you're not going to be the only one watching this. The the next team that we're talking about will also be closely following this and this is of course Zenit, uh-huh. and they have a fantastic tie against Celtic. I, this is almost this feels like a Champions League game, doesn't it, Andrew? A Celtic against Zenit. What a what a draw that one is.
0: That's absolutely, absolutely. I mean celtic've um, been in a bit of a strange situation in the last few years with the you know the absence of Rangers from the Scottish Premiership and Rangers are only slowly getting back towards being competitive so it's almost like they 've not been well they, they i don 't want to insult Scottish football too much, but they 've not been challenged as much as they have been in the past, but they 've always been in europe they 've always been playing and they they 've struggled against um, decent sides but my words, Celtic Park. With the safe standing section and what's it sixty eight thousand capacity I think it is that will be absolutely packed out and it will be an intense atmosphere um, away from home so it's it's going to be a test for Mancini um, but Mancini will be familiar enough with with what to expect and I think he realizes what's at stake if he if he loses or certainly loses heavily because um, you know the the league is is looking pretty tough. Although what Tim mentioned about locomotives, fixtures, it could mean they'll drop points and Zenit could be back in with a shout. I think to wager his his Zenit future on the league alone would be fairly dangerous. So, um, yeah, Celtic, are no, they're not going to be a walkover, but over the two legs, I certainly expect need to go through. Um, and, and I hope to be at the second leg as well. So, I'll be flying out to St. Petersburg and, and I'll be reporting on that for football grabs. So, uh, second leg could be oh what a cracker that will be
1: I think playing that that first leg in the paradise at uh, Celtic Park that's 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 almost a good thing you get that tough fixture out of the way and um, Celtic actually have not been that impressive against Russian sides at home um, of the three matches they managed one win one draw one one defeat so uh, if Sanit get a result or even like a, a, a defeat with, with an away goal with just one goal difference I think there's a good chance for Sini to, to get an, or get a result overall in this, in this fixture. Um, so I think this is going to be a, a fascinating one, absolutely fascinating one to watch. Um, I, I, I love the, personally, we had, we had the experience, um, to send, we sent Chris to the, the Celtic Bayern tie, right? And he's just been raving about how amazing of a place the paradise is to watch football. So I'm really excited to, to, be able to sort of include it in our coverage again, because Celtic are such a interesting club to, to watch, um, for sure. Now, um, Tim, your thoughts. Who's going to go through on this one?
2: Oh, I have a weird uh, feeling about this game and not because I don't like Zenit. It's because the, um, I just been watching them. They they're a successful club in Europe, and they often make it to the um uh, to the to the spring uh, playoffs time. But every time they play, they have a, such a hard time. Even when they make the first game, especially like I think it's a really disadvantage that Zenit plays the first game away. I think they they can screw it up, and uh, it just it's not based on anything. It's based just on past history. Um, clearly Zenit is a I think it's stronger opposition than Celtic. Uh, if you just take the pure, just the the, 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 the difference in players, but uh, there were so many cases like uh, countless ties against Benfica when they just when they go the first game away and they don't get the result and then they try their best at home and it just doesn't, doesn't work. So um, if you take a look, if you take a look at the pure uh, footballing side, I think Zenit should go through. But if they make, don't get the result in the first game, which I think is very likely, uh, they will be out.
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's a very, very fair assessment. Zenit have always kind of struggled in that first playoff game. Um, but speaking of first games, uh, or way on the road, tough oppositions, um, our last side, Dinamo Kiev going to Athens. That's not an easy one, is it? Either, is it, Tim?
2: No, no, no. Playing in Greece is, is, is is I don't know. I don't know much about Athens. And like if you compare them to, to Genama Kiev, uh, doesn't sound like it could be a tough tie. But again, going away to Athens and again, maybe not getting the result. And uh, the Greek league is going. Janama Kiev is in the same in a similar position that they haven't played. Too much football in, in 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 January and February, um. So it is a tough one. So it's again, I think, uh, Dinamo Kief is a probably superior side, but it's definitely not a walkthrough. Like uh, going to Athens and playing against Ajax, and they have crazy fans. Um, mm. it's it's not going to be easy for Dinamo Kiev. It, it's not a done deal. It's it's. I won't be surprised if they have uh, troubles in that side. Dinamo if They it's 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 not that easy.
1: Yeah, it's not easy. But, and it, but at the same time, Andrew, it's, it's an interesting one. It's actually one of these other games where you think, well, this could be a Champions League tie. You know, the two historical clubs facing each other. Um, I have to add, I never have played against a team from Ukraine. That's a bit surprising, isn't it? Considering that Ike have such a long European history as well, right, Andrew?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, when you think of Greek football, you do tend to think of. Uh, Olympiakos and Panathinaikos dominating the scene but um, yeah AEK have the, well yeah, like Tim I, I haven't followed the Greek league closely but I do know that they they have that experience they've had plenty of Greek internationals in the last 10-15 years playing for them um, and they they are ahead of Olympiakos and Panathinaikos in the Greek table um, so I'm just a quick look through their, their recent results they haven't lost for something like 15-20 games um, they're, they're going strong in the league and uh, yeah the the uh, the first competitive fixture um, for uh, for Dynamo Kiev, they, they're going to be up against the side that are reasonably confident and at home. Well, like like a lot of these fixtures, this when it gets to the knockout stages, you can't really pay too much attention to past reputation and size of club. It's it's a two-legged game. That's it. That's all there is to it. Um, so yeah, I think I think Dynamo Kiev, if they can get past this one, they'll they'll breathe a sigh of relief. They aren't the biggest team in the draw, but it's um, well. It's that away? Is that away leg first? It's it's going to be tricky. But um, anyhow, I think um, uh, I think what may possibly help Kiev a little bit is that A.K. do have two really really big games um, in in the next week before, uh, before that fixture. Um, they've got to play Olympiakos and they've got a cup game uh, a cup game against Olympiakos. Sorry, and a league game between now and then. So possibly. Maybe a bit tired, who knows, but yeah, tricky one nonetheless.
1: Yeah, this is an interesting one for me. I am really curious about it because I think that Dynamo, the Ukrainian sides have always done well in this competition and unfortunately this year Dynamo are the only team left. So they're kind of holding up the, the Ukrainian banner. Of course there's Shakhtar Donetsk, who we're going to cover next week because their Champions League tie is not until the, the 20th, the 22nd of February, I believe it is. Um, so it's the, the Lehi Champions League. Hi so we're going to get to them uh, next week but yeah Dinamo Kiev holding up the Ukrainian flag in this tournament and a tournament that Ukrainian teams traditionally have done better than Russian teams um they seem to to navigate that winter break a little bit better but we'll see if they can do it this year I I am I would put this down as a 50-50 game as well um I think the second leg in Kiev will help them quite a bit um I think that's always a big advantage yeah
2: I'm looking at the IE, IX squad and guess who's playing for them our good friend Dmitri Cigrinski. Oh, that's right. So that's an interesting because he is he Shakhtar man he okay. will be playing against Dynamo Kyiv so interesting story.
1: There is an interesting story. We'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Um, he played at Barcelona as well, right?
2: Yeah, 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 that's the same guy. So yeah.
1: He was that big transfer of Pep Guardiola transfer and for some odd reason didn't work out. Never got his career on track afterwards either. It's definitely an interesting story. Maybe something to to type up this afternoon. It's a little article um, ahead of this match. But boys, um, we got a really interesting question. Um, I love these questions. People, if you listen to this podcast, please keep them coming because we love to discuss them. And some of these discussions, we, we put them on Twitter and people just... Love to interact with us. And this, this was a, a question sent in by Colin, um, who's a regular listener and actually invited me to, to hang out at the Bayern VAP box, um, a few weeks ago. So thanks again, Colin. That was a fantastic experience. And your question was a really good one. Um, the question was, how do you earn players from the past, like Lev Yashin, with more modern players like Manuel Neuer? Are they even comparable? Um, Andrew, I feel like I have to go with you. I mean, the, the Twitter followers, my Twitter followers, and there was a lot of interaction on this, on this tweet, said only 32% said they're comparable, 68% said they're not comparable. Can you, and let's stick with Lev Yashin, because he is the, in, for many people, the, the first modern goalkeeper on, on the big stage, right? Is someone like Lev Yashin comparable with Manuel Neuer?
0: Well, I think this is a fascinating question. I totally agree with you. Love the question um, because if you take the basic playing style, there are some comparisons to draw. Yevgenyashin was 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 a keeper who did come out of his box, he, or at least he came further forward than most keepers did of that era. You've got to remember quite how rigid football was back then. Of course, you know positions um, for most teams, most cultures, although not all. Um, were fairly rigid, you know, and if you were a goalkeeper, you stayed in your penalty box. You defender, you were just outside and never went past the halfway line. Levy actually changed that a bit. So Manuel Noy, of course, there's that comparison to how they changed the, you know, how a goalkeeper was viewed at the time. Um, However, on the other hand, I'd say there are such huge differences in most other aspects of the game um, that it, it is difficult. And I'd say outside with the not comparable overall, um, side of the argument simply because you know the pace of the game, the, the styles of play, the tactics that were played, the amount players knew about each other on a continental stage. Um, all of this is so different that mm. to compare, you know, who is well, I, who is the better keeper? That's a, it's always a subjective question, but it, you can't do that. But what you can do is you can compare the impact they had on the game um, on their position specifically as well and I'm not saying Manuel Neuer is the only modern keeper to have come out of the box, but he's so complete at what he does that you can draw some comparison. So playing style, yes. Um Who is the better keeper? I just don't think that's ever possible. But mm. it is an interesting question, nonetheless, and uh, certainly uh, a great question there. So, yeah, I love that.
1: Yeah, I, I always love the question. We we're get getting, we're getting so many good ones these days, and... The comments that we had underneath, um, James Nolten says, they have to be comparable, I think. For all you could say, shots are quicker now, balls were heavier then, making them more difficult to save. Some players could still get a lot of power on their shots even then. Um, the other thing he says, I think you have to take into account the changes when comparing them, including the rules, pitches, and equipment, etc. But I think you can still compare 1900s players to 2000 players. It's still all association football. Um, another comment was from Steve Plunk, at Steve Plunk, comparable in the sense they were the best players of their generation, so yes, equipment has changed, as has conditioning. No reason to doubt these players would adapt to today's game, so in my opinion, you can rank them alongside each other. Um, Tim, what are your thoughts on this? I, I personally, I think, I think of football as an evolution. Every player had a great impact. Game has changed, of course, but at the same time, um, I think we have to be able to compare them in one way or another, don't we?
2: Yeah I, I agree with you like I kind of agree what Andrew said and what you said that it's you know if you put Lev Yashin in in today's game like it's a different game and it's a different physical condition different balls like so I agree with listeners on that uh, but at the same time you can can compare the level of the level of innovation because um, um the world had many great goalkeepers over the past uh, 25 years I've been watching football and they've been really fantastic players but uh i would say the 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 most innovator is manuel noir he really changed that that style and it's really like he did something that modern gold didn't do and he was the first one to do it and when uh you will know more better than anyone how he literally stands on the half line and mm-hmm. he, he plays that position this looks looked weird when he started doing that and that's the innovation and uh, I obviously never seen Lev Yashin play, but at the same time, I, I know a lot about him and he is, he is considered the, uh, one of the best historical uh, Russian players. And um, based on the literature, based on the, on the articles, people have been saying that he, he was kind of the same. He, he used to do, he always, in that, uh, in that game, he used to go uh, deeper, um, uh, look further away from his goal. He also used, um, not that many players used uh, to start the game of like just to throw the ball with a hand. Mm-hmm. So that was his, his innovation. So if you, if you take those aspects, you can compare them in terms of just really playing style. It's, it's very hard to compare to really bring, uh, take, um, Lef Yash and copy him into the modern game. It will be slightly different. We also have to remember that the rules were slightly different. The, the players could attack. And physically attack the, the goalies back then. So it was, it was a different, you know, it was way tougher for the, for the goalies. They were less protected. So, um, again, to summarize what I've said, I believe that, uh, in terms of innovation, those two are comparable because Manuel Noir is really like, I, I love watching him play the, the things he come up with. Are just uh, unbelievable, and from what I understand, and history tells us that Lev Yashin was the same. But obviously, like you said, the game is a pure evolution. It changes so much, even in the past 20, 25 years, as I've been watching football. The game becomes so different. So, um, on that sense, it's not comparable. So. I don't think there's right or wrong answer. It's again one of those conversations like thanks to the listeners who, who provide us with those uh, topics to to converse. And it, that's the beauty of the game because the football is the game of opinions. It is a, it, it, we, we're talking a little bit of fictional football because we cannot really take Lev Yashin and put him in, in Bayern squad, but uh, it's interesting. It's interesting to talk, and that keeps us thinking about um, those interesting things. So thanks to the listeners for providing us those great questions.
1: Yeah, and we got some really great comments too. One of the other comments, and I'm reading them out as they come in, because this this Twitter thread that I put on is very <laughs> very long. Um, Clemency um, at Clemency LFC wrote. Today's footballers are faster and stronger. It's no contest. Brazil from 1970 wouldn't finish in the top four in the EPL. The natural talent levels haven't changed, but the drills used to develop that talent are a lot more sophisticated. Um, Charles Duxbury wrote, and this is at CD, C Duxbury. Uh, I don't think Yashin would get near the speed of shots in modern game, yet nowhere probably couldn't deal with the assaults on goalkeeper. This is this is exactly it, right? The game the game has changed in in so many ways. It's it's different. Uh, I like to look at it as an evolution. Um I think that these players were all fantastic. I don't think one player is better than the other. I personally have a huge problem already with all these uh, Ballon d'Or contests, best player of yeah. of of the world kind of contests, because we be, we're comparing apples and eggs. Is Cristiano Ronaldo scoring sixty goals a season more valuable than Manuel Neuer making? securing uh, 10 clean sheets that win 30 points you know yeah. how do you how do you value that it's very difficult to value so how do you value the same thing when you look at the player in the 1960s 70s 80s to a player today it's it, it's it's difficult now maybe the thing is that you have to keep in mind i like to look at the influence factor how big of an influence had it Manuel Neuer is not the first roaming goalkeeper I mean 1860 had Peter Radenkovic who would do the same thing in the 1960s and 70s for 1860 stand at the halfway line we don't just don't see it that often right every once in a while it happens Edwin van der Sar is another example he was a goalkeeper you're familiar with him right Andrew he was a roaming goalkeeper as well so i think i think you need to be able to compare them um for the sake of understanding where it's coming from how did we get here you know if you look at the history how did the game develop to where it is right now and how did different players in in that timeline fit um and and, and change the game um, so i think that is really where we get to comparison comparison level i mean, that there's always these endless comparisons about maradona cristiano ronaldo Pele, zidane for me they're not the same players so i think we should almost take them out of the equation Single them out and look at what have they done for the game? Why were they important? Why are we talking about them? Why are they significant? Um, almost as an individual cases. And I mean, um, Andrew, you, you, of course, you've watched the Premier League quite a bit. Um, there's always a lot of comparisons between Oliver Kahn and Peter Schmeichel. Those are two guys that played at the same time. So they're very comparable. But then you compare Edwin Fandasea and Manuel Neuer. Those two are not that far apart, but yet they're already not comparable anymore, right?
0: Well, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think you guys have nailed it with how we can compare the players. It's it's the effect they had on their eras and how much that was an influence on the game around them that we can compare. But yeah, exactly. Sometimes even even a matter of five, ten years can be quite a cultural shift within football. I'd say in the last 10, 15 years, a three-man defence, for example. That's become a lot more... A lot more popular again, a lot more effective again, and that changes how the goalkeeper acts behind them. So, yeah, it's 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 fun, but it's it's no more it's no more than that. Other than to focus on their effects on the game. But I like to say, um, there's nothing wrong with indulging in looking back, uh, comparing the greats, so we can understand how the modern greats have got to where they were. Uh, like you said, man, it's a good point. Um, so. Yeah, it's it, it's fun, but it's it's not about who is better because we'll no. never get an answer to that. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think that is the perfect conclusion to this podcast <laughs> 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 because we're not going to get the answer for this, but it is still a fantastic question. And please keep them coming. But boys, we need to wrap it up. Andrew, um, it's preview time for Football Grad. The the previews are coming out. The first set is coming out on Sunday. Um, other than that, what have you been up to?
0: Well uh yeah getting getting looking forward to the previews. I'm uh, just watching a few um a few games uh, at the weekend. I'm watching some youth football as well. Um uh, looking forward very much to seeing how Krasnodar and Spartak get on over two legs in their um UEFA Youth League games. So uh yeah, basically preparing for football. Uh, only one week left to go. Cannot wait.
1: Yeah, I'm excited, really excited for for getting the previews out. It's always fun to read them and uh, see the predictions and the lineups and uh yeah it's it's such cool and then of course Chris Williams always puts together the images which look just fantastic mm-hmm. so I'm really excited for this Um they're going to be all at football Ground live coming starting this weekend so we're getting really close um Tim you must be excited as well as are playing um other oh. what have you been up to
2: uh, well, it's just a, a bit of a busy year for me at work and with everything else what I'm doing, but um, I'm very excited that the football is back. Um, I'm actually uh, booking off probably. It looks like I would have I do my radio show every Thursday at 10 a.m., but looks like the Europa League game is on Thursday at 10 a.m., so I'm not going to do the radio show because Spartak is playing. I'm hoping that Uh, they're showing this game in canada and i will be able to to watch it somewhere um but yeah i just can't wait it's been too long i want to see the boys in the action and uh what andrew mentioned today i will be watching this game later but our youth um, team made it to the uh, champions league playoffs they're playing against inter and that game against krasnodar versus real uh in the absence of football for the next week we'll still still have one week to europa league those two games will be the big talking points and um just imagine the full sold out Krasnodar Stadium at, uh, at, 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 in the game versus Real Madrid. So it's going to be great.
1: Yeah. That's, that's an amazing story. Definitely an amazing story. So we'll definitely keep an eye on that. Um, one of the many stories you will find at Football Grad Live. And yes, guys, people create, keep, keep coming the questions. We we'll, we'll love the questions and, uh, get in touch with us. You can also reach us, um, footballgrad at gmail.com. Send us emails to there as well. If you have any questions, feedback, criticism everything is always appreciated you can also leave ratings on itunes and um yeah reach reach me personal at manuelwef um that's it that's it our podcast for this week we're all excited for the football to be back so we'll discuss it all next week until then dosvidanje
2: natural, healthy-looking shine, and voluminous curls and waves that make you look like you just stepped out of a salon? It's easy with Conair Jumbo and Super Jumbo Hot Rollers. These 12 ceramic flocked rollers heat up in just 85 seconds, and because they're infused with ceramic, they transfer heat evenly for big, bouncy, long-lasting curls. Twice the flocking of competitive products means more heat protection. Wire clips ensure a secure hold. Makes a great gift for yourself or someone special. Go to Conair.com for Jumbo and Super Jumbo Hot Rollers now.